You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Uh, Greetings, everyone. Uh, Welcome to our time here together. Uh, turning for guidance to the Christian mystic St. John of the Cross. And uh, we're in the midst of um, his book, uh, The Dark Knight, um, which follows the Ascent of Mount Carmel. <clears throat> and um, the last time we left off with each other, we were talking about the dark night as a poetic metaphor of how we experience God's love in the transformative process of loving and being loved by each other, um, primarily focusing on marital love, but pointing out how that same process is in parenting or teaching students in a classroom or committed to the healing process or oneness with nature or solitude, art, poetry. It's just, um, it's a continuous metaphor, the transformative power of uh, love leading us into ever deeper love. And so St. John of the Cross, I think, assumes all of that. He's always assuming that we're experiencing God's love for us in our love for each other and daily life and sharing it. He's he's just assuming that. But he's also assuming that we also have a personal relationship with God, not experiencing God's love in each other, but experiencing God's love in the presence of God in prayer. And furthermore, he's helping us to understand then, well, how is the dark night experienced with God? That is, how is it experienced in the, in the presence of the infinite love of God? And, and his concern is the point at which we're living the Christian life and with our, our daily quiet time of, of Lexio Divina meditation and prayer We go forth to share it with others and efficacious unto holiness. He's assuming all of that. So this is experiencing God's love for us in prayer, mediated or incarnate in our consolations, incarnate in our insights into the things of God, incarnate in our aspirations, and so on. But then when we pass through the veil of death, uh, we move beyond these ways of experiencing the presence of God mediated through our thoughts, through our reflections, through our consolations, and we move into unmediated, infinite union with the infinite love of God in glory, which is our destiny. And so then he's saying what can happen with some people following this path is that God doesn't wait until they're dead to begin infusing into them an unmediated, experience of the infinite presence of God infinitely in ways they cannot grasp. It starts to introduce them into the celestial state while still on the earth. And he is offering insight uh, to those for whom the experience is happening and how to discern that it's happening. And we were looking at this with the Ascent of Mount Carmel, book one and two, on the active aspects of attitudes to cultivate, to cooperate with it. And now he's picking up again in the dark night on the passive aspects. And it's basically this. It's basically that um, 
we, we realize as we go to our place of prayer that we're no longer nurtured by prayer, where we're no longer are consoled by the felt sense of God's presence in prayer. And also, the clarity that we had in our understanding of God through our beliefs, kind of chapter and verse clarity, um, that, that, that clarity is also not nearly so clear to us anymore. Because what's happening here is that God sees that we're attached to these finite ways of experiencing the infinite presence of God, efficacious unto holiness, and therefore to help liberate and free us up to begin to experience an infinite oneness with God. God lovingly takes away the capacity to function in that mediated way. And this is what he means by the dark night, that God helps us out by weaning us off our ability to engage in, in Lectio Divina, discursive meditation, and be nurtured by it. To, to liberate us from our dependency on those finite ways of experiencing God. And, and yet, at the same time, we don't know how to go forward either. And so this is uh, chapter 9, book 1 of The Dark Night. And um, he says, the first sign, John the Cross, this is Article 2, is that these souls do not get satisfaction or consolation from the things of God. They do not get any out of creatures either. Since God puts a soul in this dark night in order to dry up and purge its sensory appetite, he does not allow it to find sweetness or delight in anything. And, uh, and so everything is, um, suffers from a, a lack. It suffers from a lack of being able to experience God's presence in it, but also having tasted something of the love of God, it suffers in being lacking to us because it's finite. And having tasted something of the infinite love of God, we feel the poverty of all created things to fulfill us. And we also feel the poverty of being nurtured by God in prayer. Uh, Thomas Merton once called it a hell of mercy. God leaves us in this place of helplessness. John the Cross then says, to those in whom this occurs and know how to remain quiet without care or solicitude about any interior or exterior work, they will soon in that unconcern and idleness delicately experience the interior nourishment this refection is so delicate that usually if the soul desires or tries to experience it, it cannot. For as I say, this contemplation is active while the soul is in idleness and unconcern. And so this is really, at this point, not anything that you're doing, but is rather realizing it's what God is achieving in you. It's an infused contemplation, experiencing as the darkening of being able to function on your terms and your customary ways of experiencing God's presence. He continues on, Article 7. 
The reason is that now in this state of contemplation, when the soul has left discursive meditation and entered the state of proficience, that is, proficience are those who are beginning to move from discursive reflective meditation into wordless contemplation, resting in God, unexplainably resting in you. The reason is that now in this state of contemplation, when the soul has left discursive meditation and has entered the state of proficience, it is God who works in it. He therefore binds the interior faculties and leaves no support in the intellect, nor satisfaction in the will, nor remembrance in the memory. At this time, a person's own efforts are of no avail, but rather an obstacle to the interior peace and work of God is producing in the spirit through that dryness of sense. Since this peace is something spiritual and delicate, its fruit is quiet, delicate, solitary, satisfying, and peaceful, and far removed from all those other gratifications of beginners, which are very palpable and sensory. For this is the peace that David speaks of um, in uh, speaking of this night in the Psalms. St. John of the Cross continues. The final quote here. <clears throat> the attitude necessary in the night of sense is to pay no attention to discursive meditation, since this is not the time for it. They should allow the soul to remain in rest and quietude, even though it may seem very obvious to them that they are doing nothing and wasting time, and even though they think this disinclination to think about anything is due to their laxity. Through patience and perseverance in prayer, they will be doing a great deal without activity on their part. All that is required of them here is freedom of soul, that they liberate themselves from impediments and fatigue of ideas and thoughts and care not about thinking and meditating. They must be content simply with a loving and peaceful attentiveness to God and live without the concern, without the effort, without the desire to taste or feel God. All these desires disquiet the soul and distract it from the peaceful quiet and the sweet idleness of the contemplation which is being communicated to it. So this is really a very strange thing, so different uh, when we are newly arrived at it, if we're drawn into this place. It's like sitting there in a kind of a powerlessness to draw any kind of nourishment in thinking about the things of God. Or a powerlessness to um, experience the consolations of God. Like a kind of a, an emptiness or an empty-handed poverty. And he says, but, it, but if you sit there with all your heart, if you sit there with all your heart in this complete dependency on God, who's achieving this work in you of drawing you out beyond the closed horizon of all that's attainable through finite thoughts and feelings. There begins to grow in you, he says, um, um, the fire of love. 
But the fire of love is not commonly felt at first because it's a fire that burns with such infinite, delicate uh, silence that the, the finite reflective self sitting there is unable to discern it. It is one sits there, and this can go on for months, this can go on for years this way. But as one sits there little by little by little, there begins to shine out of that poverty, this infinite oneness, which is what we'll be getting to next on the spiritual canticle on the living flame of love, of being married to God through love. So really it's a kind of a sweet death. It's, it's kind of dying of love to everything less than an infinite union with infinite love and uh, patiently surrendering yourself over to this uh, a process. John of the Cross says, with some people, God paces this according to our weaknesses. Some people, it's just unbearable. So there are times they can return to meditation and return to reflection and so on. And it tends to take longer because there's these spaces where you kind of get a breather, where you can circle back and then it continues. Uh, other people can go on with more consistency and um, until this uh, breakthrough happens into this unitive state of divine love. He also says, and Teresa of Avila talks about this too, it's especially painful when you don't have a spiritual director that understands this and encourages you and helps you to abide in it and be attentive in it and, and present in it and so on, which deepens your solitude. And um, so that's John of the Cross the, on the dark night. This is John of the Cross where you're in a certain, and this, this is continuous with how the dark night is present in nuptial love and teaching and all these ways. Because what, what it is, he's now talking about it with God, ultimately speaking. That is, you're in this love and through reflective prayer. And there's this influx of this divine light which blinds your finite eyes because it's infinite. And in blinding your finite eyes, you know not what to make of it. And but tasting that taste of the finite that you cannot explain, having tasted that divine light, you see the poverty of the pleasure that you get and the consolations of prayer through emotions and consolations. You see the poverty of all your thoughts about God and you're betwixt and between these two worlds, between the earthly plane of God's infinite love given in finite ways and on the brink or the precipice of God's infinite love given in infinite ways and you're transformed in that poverty. And so St. John of the Cross then offers trustworthy guidance for those who are being led by God along this very obscure and uh, subtle and uh, delicate path toward mystical uh, consummation in God's love. So uh, let's end then with a sitting, with the meditation. I might encourage you in this meditation to uh, I mean, whatever your, your your heart prompts you to do, you're capable to do. But how does this strike you, the tone of this? It could strike you as something you've not yet experienced, but there's something um, kind of wondrous about knowing that it's possible and does happen to some people. 
And since the graces of God that happen to one person belong to all of us, it's part of the grace, but you may realize it is happening to you, but you never even consciously saw it because it's not the granting of something. Rather, it's the poverty of the cessation of everything that has an enigmatic richness about it. And John of the Cross is helping us to put words to it. So in the prayers, you sit in the presence of God relative to where you are with this transformative process. So with that, then, I invite you to sit straight and fold your hands and bow. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.